the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. James Blinn producing Sam Moppet Engineering. And I'm glad to be back in the studio. Uh, coming up, we're going to hear from Steve Mosier, author of The Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. That'll be in the uh, last segment of this hour and into the second hour. I think I got that right, Sam. Yeah. All right. So there you uh, there you have it. Uh, we're going to start out with some of the day's headlines. I wasn't here yesterday, so we'll try to catch up with some of those headlines as well. Saying he's out of touch, a Biden official is being mocked for touting solar panel discounts for middle-class Americans. I actually tried to get one of those solar panel discounts uh, earlier this year. Apparently, there's a uh, an opportunity to do that. And they said that Portland is so uncooperative that they're unwilling to work with people here. Rather interesting. Anyway, to deepen and enhance cooperation, a Republican governor is leading the, the latest U.S. delegation to Taiwan. And citing a massive disconnect, a GOP lawmaker says voters don't care about the 2020 election or January 6th. Well, we'll see if that's true or not when the election actually happens. In a classroom conundrum, Education Secretary Cardona, he slams the lack of respect for teachers who bent over backwards during the pandemic. I think parents and other observers are quite capable of recognizing teachers who did bend over backwards. I think most of the uh, frustration is with school boards, administrators, and the um, union that made decisions that weren't necessarily in the best interest of kids and labeling parents As terrorists in a new beat, the New York Times has created a new focus on right wing media to see what's driving the political decisions of many Americans. And under attack, another New York Times report suggests the American dream is being distorted, particularly by Republicans of color. That's a whole new moniker now. There's Republicans of color. So we're divided into neat little groups. Uh, Whichever group you fit into, you are characterized by Uh, That particular configuration under attack. Another New York Times reporter suggests that very thing. Well, calling him smart and savvy, liberal media pundits are praising Brian Stetler after his CNN exit or ouster, however you want to characterize it, saying he's like a mountain guide in an avalanche. Trey Gowdy points out that the affidavit, the one uh, giving permission or seeking permission for the Mar-a-Lago raid, only tells the government side of the story for raiding Mar-a-Lago. And that story continues to develop. Stephen Helton says that the IRS performance audit exposes how the swamp rewards failure. And saying it's not a crisis, the Democrat D.C. Mayor Browser's second uh, request for help with the migrant influx from liberal policies allowed to... um, uh, 
uh, policies uh, that those policies allowed was shut down by the Pentagon. Let me try to get that straight. Well, demanding uh, show me the receipts, former President Trump launched legal action over the FBI's Mar-a-Lago raid and the Department of Justice has responded. The former president and his legal team filed a motion Monday evening. They're seeking an independent review of the records seized by the FBI during an unprecedented and unnecessary raid of the Mar-a-Lago uh, estate earlier this month, saying the decision to search his private residence just months before the 2022 election involved political calculations aimed at diminishing the leading voice in the Republican Party. Again, that's a, a quote from uh, President Trump. Now, according to the motion filed Monday evening in the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Florida, the former president and his legal team are seeking an order to appoint a special master to review the records obtained during that search blocks the further review of seized materials by the government until a special master is appointed, requires the Justice Department to provide a more detailed receipt for property and requires the government to return any item seized that was not within the scope of the search warrant. Now, interestingly, this would typically have happened immediately upon the um, the the issuance of the the warrant and the seizure of the property. So this delay is rather interesting. They've already been going through that material. It's also interesting that the... Um, uh, that the um, attorney general could have done that very thing to assuage the a suspicion of some Americans that this was politically motivated. So the timing of this is a bit off, but nonetheless, uh, that's what the uh, the former president is asking for. Well, the Justice Department um, spokesman Anthony Coley reacted to the filing on Monday in a statement saying the August 8th search warrant at Mar-a-Lago was authorized by a federal court upon the required finding of probable cause. The department is aware of this evening's motion. The United States will file its uh, response in court. And the judge has given the um, Trump organization until Friday uh, to to offer some more details about this um, this request. An agenda influence emails reveal climate czar John Kerry consulted radical groups while making policies. I'm not sure there's too much surprise there, but follow the money. Stacey Abrams is tied to multiple abolitionist groups, despite claims that she doesn't support defunding the police. Well, entering the home stretch, George Soros and other billionaires are flooding Chuck Schumer's pack with millions of dollars to save the Senate majority. And saying it's a long way off, Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin remains mum on a potential White House bid. Isn't that a bit premature? I mean, he was just elected governor, but that's just me. How laughable liberal media gives uh, Democrat mayors a pass over buses of illegal immigrants and their complaints regarding the same, even though they're sanctuary cities. Republicans have been labeled cruel and even xenophobic over illegal immigration stances. But the mainstream media doesn't seem to mind when Democrat Mayor Eric Adams or Muriel Bowser sound the alarm about thousands arriving in their sanctuary cities. The group behind the Gascon Uh, Recall knowingly submitted invalid signatures, which is somewhat puzzling. Let this be a lesson. According to Red State, despite the vast sums of money raised and spent, the quality of the signatures submitted to L.A. County was embarrassingly incompetent. In the words of one former professional who viewed some of the materials provided to Red State, even worse, a whistleblower speaking to Red State on condition of anonymity provided information seeming to demonstrate that the woman widely acknowledged as controlling the campaign committee 
uh, knew for more than a month that the committee's progress was woefully inadequate, knew that signatures from out-of-country people and non-voters were being counted by the committee as verified signatures, and even instructed campaign workers to leave them on the petitions because we need the numbers, and instructed campaign workers in front of multiple deputy district attorneys to forge the signatures of circulators in the um, attestation portion of the petition forms that are signed under penalty of perjury. Again, this is puzzling. Jennifer Van Lahr says, uncovering interesting things about the parties, uh, companies involved in the recalled George Gascon petition. According to this, uh, let the voters decide this uh, the signature gathering firm in Gascon recall was running a Soros backed voter rights bill in, Min- in um, Minnesota at the same time. So was this a genuine effort to to do just that, to uh, put the, the question on the ballot? That's being called into question. According to a CNN employee, no one is safe or secure right now. We'll tell you why in just a few moments, but we need to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up later this hour, Stephen Mosier, author of The Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. Well, according to a CNN employee, no one is safe or secure right now. Well, the new CNN chairman and CEO, Chris Licht, did little to calm the nerves of highly partisan employees of the network this week after the cancellation of Brian Stetler's show, Reliable Sources. Licht started to uh, evaluate the hyperpartisan so-called talent at the network shortly after they uh, he joined CNN as he uh, aimed to dial down the partisanship that's plagued the network in recent years. I want to acknowledge that this is a time of significant change, and I know that many of you are unsettled, Lick said, according to numerous people who attended Friday's editorial meeting call. There will be more changes, and you might not understand it or like it. Deadline says the reliable source's cancellation and Stetler's exit, however, appear to have heightened anxieties. No one is safe or secure right now, as CNN staffer told Deadline on Friday. Well, the last uh, address on CNN's reliable sources, Brian Stetler, according to the Washington Examiner, delivered an on-air farewell during a final episode of CNN's Reliable Sources on Sunday, calling attention to what he called the super strange situation as the network canceled the long-running uh, show while allowing it to produce one more segment afterward. At the end of the hour-long episode, largely focused on examining how media itself is changing, Stetler stressed the importance of providing space for dialogue and the full spectrum of debate. He also called on viewership to hold CNN and other networks accountable for their coverage. A trans athlete in Utah is being allowed to compete in female sports. Uh, transgender girls in Utah will be given the opportunity to participate in girls sports as the school year begins after a judge on Friday reversed a ban pending legal challenges from parents. Instead of an outright ban, transgender girls will now be sent before a commission that will determine on a case by case basis if their participation comprises Fairness. Utah's Republican lawmakers created the commission in a law passed earlier this year as a fallback plan to the to be implemented in case of an injunction against the law. Under the law, the panel will be allowed to ask for and assess the child's height and weight in making decisions about whether a transgender uh, would have an unfair advantage. 
Judge Keith Kelly in Salt Lake City granted a preliminary injunction stating that the state's athletic ban discriminates against transgender girls, end quote. The ban singles out transgender girls and categorically bars them from competing on girls' sports team, Kelly wrote in his ruling. At the same time, other girls are free to compete. This is plainly unfavorable treatment, end quote. Well, a poll shows college students are refusing to uh, to dorm with those uh, of the opposite political beliefs. Axios says 73 percent of Democrat voters polled from the class of 2025 said President Biden shouldn't run again, while 27 percent believe he should. Fifty seven percent of Republican voters polled said that they thought the former president should run again. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm suggests the green energy push is the world's greatest peace plan. The Biden energy secretary suggested in a recent interview that the United States green energy push will be the greatest peace plan in world history. If you want to be energy secure and energy independent, that means we've got to produce our own energy, Granholm said in an interview with VOA News on Friday. Now, we were approaching energy independence, but she's defining it differently. RNC Research says the Biden energy secretary of the uh, secretary, a move to clean energy will be the greatest peace plan the world has ever known. While on the other hand, we're years, maybe decades, maybe longer away from that kind of energy independence. Governor Kathy Hochul signed a woke bills geared toward forcing woke language on people. Town Hall reports that if you didn't think the state of New York could get any more woke than You need to think again. In the land of uh, radical policies, the governor is uh, taking a step further. Earlier this week, she signed a bill that would ban the word salesman and replace it with salesperson, as well as replace words such as his and her with the woke pronoun they and them. Senate Bill 536, or the salesman law, was proposed to change forms of gendered language so that they would uh, be more inclusive among everyone. This is not the latest bill to be signed that bends over backwards to the woke narrative. Hochul approved a bill that would remove gender references from office holders and local legislative bodies, changing councilmen to words such as council member. It also changes the term inmate to incarcerated person. Prison reform advocates have said the term inmate has a dehumanizing effect. Language matters. And state Senator Gustavo Rivera, the Bronx Democrat who uh, sponsored the bill for the inmate change. This is another concrete step our state is taking to make uh, our criminal justice system one that focuses on rehabilitation rather than relying solely on punishment. According to an NBC poll, the majority of Americans think the Inflation Act will make things worse or make no difference. The majority of registered voters don't expect the Inflation Reduction Act to actually reduce inflation, according to a new poll. A morning consult political survey reports that only 24 percent of those surveyed expected the $740 billion climate tax and health care bill, as it's now being referred to, to reduce inflation, while 34 percent said it would make inflation worse. RNC Research points out that 71 percent of Americans believe the Biden inflation scam will either make things worse or not make a difference at all. The daughter of Putin's closest ally has been killed in a botched assassination attempt. Many speculate that Putin himself is probably quite concerned. The daughter of an influential Russian political theorist, often referred to as Putin's brain, was killed in a car bombing on the outskirts of Moscow, authorities said on Sunday. The Moscow branch of the Russian Investigative Committee said preliminary information indicated 29-year-old TV commentator Daria Dungina 
was uh, killed by an explosive uh, explosive planted in an SUV she was driving Saturday night. There was no immediate claim of responsibility, but the bloodshed gave rise to suspicions that the intended target was her father, a nationalist philosopher and writer. Uh, Dugan is a prominent proponent of the Russian world concept, a spiritual and political ideolo- uh, ide- ideology rather that emphasizes traditional values, the restoration of Russia's power and the unity of all ethnic Russians throughout the world. He's also a vehement supporter of Russian President Vladimir Putin's move sending troops into Ukraine. The BBC re- reports that Incidents like this will make officials in Moscow nervous, especially in the aftermath of a series of explosions and attacks in occupied Crimea and in Russian regions near the border with Ukraine. Kremlin propaganda consistently stresses how Vladimir Putin has brought uh, security and stability in Russia following the turbulent 90s when car bombs and assassinations were commonplace. This car bomb in Russian's, uh, Russian capital undermines that narrative. Despite not holding an official position in government, She is believed to be a close ally of the Russian president and has even been branded Putin's Rasputin. Lockdowns have changed dating and drinking habits. According to the Wall Street Journal, more people in the dating game are starting their their search with alcohol off the table. Instead, those uh, daters say they prefer to meet potential partners for coffee, a favorite hobby or a stroll. The pandemic um, uh, upped daters' uh, desire for genuine connection, and drinking gets in the way of that connection, some say, in addition to being expensive and less healthy than other activities. More than a third of the people on the dating app, Hinge, say that they um, are more open to going on a sober date now versus a year ago or two years ago. The preference is particularly pronounced among younger users, with 31% of 18 to 24-year-olds on the app saying they don't consume drinks on an average date. That's good news. Daily Wire says 77. uh, When people return to normal life, a lot of them notice a potential problem with their drinking habits and took action to fix it. Another aspect of the shift is the state of the economy. Going to the beach or on a picnic is also a lot cheaper than buying drinks. And there's evidence that single people are trying to be more economical with their dating habits. Well, Dr. Fauci announced that he will leave public service in December. New York Times says that Dr. Fauci said on Monday that he is uh, that he intended to leave government service in December to pursue the next chapter of his career and that he would uh, step down as President Biden's top medical advisor and the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, which he has uh, led for 38 years. The announcement by Dr. Fauci, who is 81, was not entirely unexpected. He's hinted for some time that he was thinking of retiring. In an interview Sunday evening, he said he was not retiring in the classic sense, but would devote himself to traveling, writing and encouraging young people to enter government service. Rand Paul said Fauci's resignation will not prevent a full-throated investigation into the origins of the pandemic. He will be asked to testify under oath regarding any discussions he participated in concerning the lab leak. Dr. J. Buddha Chaira uh, says my statement on Dr. Fauci's retirement announcement is quite clear. Well, the judge who authorized the warrant for former President Trump's raid declined a Department of Justice's request to keep the affidavit sealed and instead opted to have a redacted version made available. Well, now the um, the administration, or I should say the former president, is asking for a review of a non-participating member. And that uh, hangs in the balance, as the judge says, the uh, Trump team has until Friday 
to clarify what it is they're asking for. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break. Coming up later this hour, an interview with Stephen Mosier, Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. Coming up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our next segment, Stephen Mosier, author of The Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. Well, forgiving student loan debt could cost upward of $900 billion and disproportionately benefit wealthy Americans, according to a new analysis published on Tuesday. The findings from the Penn-Wharton Budget Model, a nonpartisan group at the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School, come as President Biden is preparing to make a long-awaited announcement on his proposal to deal with student loan debt. Penn Wharton estimated that a one-time forgiveness of $10,000 per borrower would cost about $300 billion if the policy is limited to individuals with incomes less than $125,000. The cost jumps to $330 billion if the program continues over the next decade and would cost $344 billion if the White House scrapped the income limits. Should the president opt to wipe out $50,000 per borrower, which he has said he will not do, it would cost the federal government roughly $980 billion, according to the analysis. Between 69% and 73% of any debt forgiven would accrue to households that are in the top 60% of income distribution in the United States. Meanwhile, the Biden White House, at the request of the Justice Department, signed off to have the FBI and the intelligence community examine hundreds of pages of classified documents. Former President Trump turned over to the National Archives and Records Administration. A newly surfaced government letter reveals Deborah Wall of the uh, National Archives and Records Administration, or NARA, Uh, She's the acting head, penned a letter to uh, Trump attorney Evan Cochran on the 10th of May, revealing federal officials had been negotiating for months with the Trump team over whether federal law enforcement and intelligence officials should be allowed to conduct a national security review or whether the material should be shielded under Trump's purported assertions of executive privilege. Well, the letter posted um, just today on the website indicates the Biden administration did not believe a former president could assert executive privilege over material that, by law, had to be turned over to the NARA. They identified items marked as classified national security information up to the level of top secret and including sensitive compartmented uh, information and special access program materials, while wrote in a letter. Meanwhile, Ford has slashed 300,000, or I should say 3,000, let's get the number right, 3,000 jobs in their transition to electric vehicles. The Wall Street Journal reports that Ford Motor Company confirmed Monday it's laying off the roughly 3,000 white-collar and contract employees, marking the latest uh, in its effort to slash costs as it makes a longer-range transition to electric vehicles. Ford sent an internal email on Monday to employees saying it would begin notifying affected salaried and agency workers this week of the cuts. The workforce reduction mostly targets employees in the U.S., Canada and India. About 2,000 of the the targeted cuts will be salaried jobs at Dearborn, Michigan automaker. The remaining 1,000 employees are working in contract positions with outside agencies, the company said. An Australian bank plans to halt loans for gas vehicles in 2025. 
The Australian bank plans to stop giving loans for new diesel and gasoline cars at the country's, uh, as the country tries to encourage the use of electric vehicles and catch up with other developed countries. In a statement Friday, Bank Australia uh, said it would scrap loans for new fossil fuel vehicles from 2025. And while there will be no more loans for new combustion engine vehicles, including hybrids, from 2025, Bank Australia will continue to provide them for used cars. Its chief impact officer, Sasha Corville, told the National Electric Vehicle Summit in Canberra on Friday that the bank's new policy was an important step in decarbonizing the Australian economy. By seizing car loans for new fossil fuel vehicles, we're sending a signal to the Australian market about the rapid acceleration of the transition from internal combustion to electric vehicles we expect to see in the next few years. Now, it's interesting to note whether or not they're also focusing on expanding the grid that will now be um, uh, called upon to expand the capacity that these electric vehicles will require. Well, New York Times reporters claim the Constitution is broken and unworthy of being reclaimed. We, the Ivy League people, despise America's uh, founding documents. Well, Red State uh, reports that in a Friday Times essay, two Ivy League professors declared the broken and famously undemocratic U.S. Constitution stands in the way of real freedom and democracy while issuing a call to radically alter the basic rules of the game by no longer requiring us to justify our politics by the Constitution. Now, think about that for a moment. What would we hang our um, our future and the rule of law on if there were no constitution, which can be amended. Well, according to Dr. Ryan D. Dorfler and Dr. Samuel Moyne, the solution is not to reclaim the constitution from Republicans, but rather reclaim America from constitutionalism. Well, Rasmussen says, despite their generally favorable opinion of the constitution, however, 57% of Democratic voters agree it is a document rooted in racism and 64% uh, believe the constitution is a sexist document that gives men advantage over women. Nearly half, 49%, believe the Constitution should be mostly or completely rewritten. The rest of the electorate overwhelmingly rejects all of those statements. But it is rather troubling when you're talking about um, 50% or more who reject the Constitution out of hand. Well, the stock market is down 2% in the steepest decline since June. The Wall Street Journal reports that fears of Additional sharp interest rate increases by the Federal Reserve sent the Dow Jones Industrial Average down 643 points on Monday, taking some of the um, the wind out of this summer's stock market rally. The market's um, outlook also remains highly uncertain as investors weigh positive news such as strong job growth against worries that Fed tightening could tip the economy into recession. The Financial Times reports that the Fed has already lifted interest rates three times this year in a bid to bring down inflation from 40-year highs, but officials have stressed the central bank has further to go. Although Monday's stock market declines appear to contrast with a strong rally so far in the third quarter, investors have warned that the earlier gains were not evidence of an increase in investor optimism after a dreadful start this year. So it's uh, rather interesting. Uh, It will be rather interesting to see what happens next. Well, Paul Pelosi... um, has been charged and he pled guilty to driving while under the influence of alcohol. And the California Highway Patrol released photos and videos recorded on the night of the 28th of May, the crash involving the speaker's husband, um, Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul Pelosi, who pled guilty to DUI charge earlier Tuesday. Now, some are suggesting that he has um, is 
benefiting from privilege. But according to attorneys who review the details, he apparently is pretty much in line with what happens when others are involved in similar uh, circumstances. However, being uh, somewhat wealthy, he doesn't need to have some of the things that the average person like driving and the ability to work without uh, access to a vehicle would be deprived of. Well, the long-awaited video shows Pelosi allegedly slurring his speech and what police previously described as objective signs of intoxication, as well as police asking him to perform field sobriety tests. Uh, As was uh, reported, Pelosi's Porsche and the other driver's uh, Jeep sustained major collision damage in a crash around 10.17 on the 28th of May, and responding officers found um, him in the driver's seat and his damaged car near the intersection where the event took place. Pelosi's voice is not always easily made out over the road noise, but the information was released and some are speculating that uh, the wealthy Pelosi will not um, suffer much by way of uh, conflict as a result of, um, of what happened uh, in that, um, that effort. Well, Eric Swalwell is being blasted for suggesting the separation of church and state is in the bill of rights. Well, uh, the representative was blasted on Twitter Monday for falsely claiming that uh, the two were separated in the Bill of Rights. DeSantis traveled to Pennsylvania and Ohio over the weekend to help campaign for Republican candidates there. And while on the road, he touted uh, Florida's success in pushing back against critical race theory and requiring American civics courses in schools. We have a responsibility to make sure that the students that come out of our school system understand what it means to be an American. They need to understand that our rights come from God, not from the government, DeSantis said. Well, Swalwell attacked DeSantis' speech, asserting that the Bill of Rights protects the separation of church of states, uh, of a church and state, a phrase not found in the U.S. Constitution. It's not like separation of church and state is in the Bill of Rights or anything, Swalwell tweeted sarcastically in response to a clip of DeSantis' speech posted by the Hill. Well, several Twitter users pointed out the fact that the separation of church and state is not in the Bill of Rights uh, to Swalwell and uh, called him out for attacking DeSantis for invoking God. Well, that's correct. It isn't. Newsweek opinion editor Josh Hammer wrote in response to Swalwell. Somebody tell him, townhall.com senior columnist Kurt Schlichter tweeted, political consultant Ellen Uh, Ellen Carmichael wrote, the origin of rights, God, nature, not government, isn't a religious notion, and then referred to him in an unflattering way, setting aside the fact that there's an establishment clause, not a separation clause, just incredible that this quote from DeSantis would be the one to set him off on this point, one attorney pointed out. Well, these kinds of um, mistakes are made quite often. But if we are living in a country where half the population doesn't see the value of the Constitution or the Bill of Rights, One wonders what the future might look like. Well, as an ambassador from another uh, nation, from under the leadership of another sovereign, it is an interesting position to find oneself in. Coming up, we're going to hear a conversation with Stephen Mosier. He's the author of The Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. And we'll return to finish up some of the headline news in the latter part of the show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, my next guest points out in his latest edition of the Politically Incorrect Guide, this time to pandemics, that deadly plagues have ripped across the globe for centuries and always will. However, did you know that virtually every plague in history, from the Black Death to smallpox and the Hong Kong flu, originated in one place? In the Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics, Stephen Mosier, president of the Population Research Institute and leading authority on China, reveals the widely promoted falsehoods and politically incorrect narratives, not just about COVID-19, but about several global pandemics across history. Well, in the newest guide, the Politically Incorrect Guide in the series, Stephen Mosier uncovers the origin of these pandemics from the Chinese pox to the Spanish flu to COVID-19, all of which originate in China, the politically incorrect guide to pandemics exposes how many of these diseases have been kept hidden or used for exploitation throughout history. Uh, Mr. Mosier is a leading authority on China who also holds an advanced degree in the biological sciences, explodes widely promoted falsehoods and politically incorrect narratives about COVID-19, the pandemic and much, much more. Stephen Mosier is president of the Population Research Institute, is a leading authority on uh, the subject of China. He knows China as few Westerners do, having exposed uh, as a visiting scholar, the monstrous practices of forced abortions and forced sterilizations. He became the target of the communist regime's crushing retaliation. His encyclopedic grasp of China's history and its present day politics, his astute insights and his bracing realism are the perfect antidote for the dangerous confusion of many Americans about the nature of the Chinese Communist Party and its designs on the world. Designs that were advanced by unleashing a pandemic. He is the author of numerous books and has frequently testified before Congress and published uh, in the New York Post, LifeSite News and the Epic Times. We are just delighted to have you with us today. Welcome. Uh, hello, Georgine. It's good to be back with you again. It is good to have you back. Now, let me ask you the question that some people are willing to answer directly and others uh, suggest, well, we really don't and may never know. What is the origin of COVID-19? <laughs> well, I, I, I said in February of 2020, that all roads led to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, because at the time uh, they put the military bioweapons expert, uh, Major General Chen Wei, in charge of the epidemic in Wuhan, because they had been doing gain of function research in the lab in Wuhan, because the idea that a bat, a bat somehow flew into someone's soup at the Wuhan wet market and it passed from bat to human without uh, human intervention is just nonsensical. There are too many changes uh, that were made to the genome of the coronavirus for it to be a natural origin. Uh, it had to come from the lab. And then, of course, I was canceled. I was accused of being a conspiracy theorist by uh, a group of people who were organized by the master conspiracy theorist of them all, Dr. Anthony Fauci, uh, who actually, you know, with his $6 billion budget, uh, was sending money uh, to the Wuhan Institute of Virology through EcoHealth Alliance to collect hundreds of bat coronaviruses and to carry out gain-of-function research in the lab there to make them more infectious and more deadly. And, of course, he may have been doing, Georgine, noble scientific research, just advancing the frontiers of knowledge, but I guarantee you the PLA bioweapons experts said, America is going to pay us to create dangerous viruses in the lab and they're, uh, they're going to give us the techniques to do that. I'm sure they were delighted uh, to participate in this program. Absolutely. You know, it may sound outrageous to some of our listeners to suggest that there would be a deliberate effort to develop a virus 
that would react uh, in the human body as it has. But you provide in uh, in the book a history of how China not necessarily originated certain viruses, but how they responded to them and how the Communist Party uh, managed in a number of instances historically that gives us reason to believe that this is absolutely plausible and consistent with what we've seen in the past. Yeah, uh, uh, China under the Communist Party is the great breeding ground of pandemics. 1958, the Asian flu broke upon the world. A million people died. It turns out that it originated in China, in the southern province of Guizhou, in the southwest of China. Uh, Did China, the Communist Party, tell the World Health Organization about a dangerous new epidemic uh, caused by a dangerous new virus in 1958? Uh, No, they didn't. They waited until it spread around the world. And a couple of years later, uh, they were called to account and they finally admitted, yeah, it began in China. Did the same thing in 1968 with the Hong Kong flu. It didn't come from Hong Kong. Uh, The people of Hong Kong were actually incensed by being blamed for it. It, They knew very well it came from across the border in mainland China. Once again, dangerous virus crossed over into humanity, killed tens of thousands of Chinese. And the World Health Organization was not notified by the Chinese Communist Party. They kept it under wraps until it had become a global pandemic, killing, uh, killing over a million people. But the real the real interesting story here, Georgine, is the SARS-1 coronavirus. Okay, we're living through SARS-2, right? Uh, But SARS-1, 2002, November 16th, a snake seller in Guangdong province in the south of China became ill with a snake coronavirus. He died a few days later, but not before infecting lots and lots of people. Thousands of people were dying in China over the next few months. Uh, What did China do? Did China tell the world? No, they hid the epidemic. They silenced whistleblowers. They doctored the data. Uh, they they uh, covered it up. Fortunately, before it could become a pandemic in 2003 and kill a million people around the world or more, the Canadian intelligence service picked up uh, wire traffic suggesting that there was a dangerous virus on the loose in South China. And uh, we put pressure on the Chinese Communist Party. They finally admitted that, yes, they had an epidemic. But you know who they blamed? They blamed foreign actors releasing a bioweapon in China. In other words, they blamed the United States in 2003 for releasing a bioweapon in China. Uh, Does all that sound familiar? Because it should. That's exactly the playbook they followed in 2019 and 2020. They silenced whistleblowers. They allowed the epidemic to spread and become a pandemic. They deliberately released it on the world. They doctored the data. They said there's no human, there's no human to human transmission. You don't need to worry about this thing. Uh, they, they got the World Health Organization to actually lie for them and repeat those lies. And then when they were finally called on it, uh, they said, no, it didn't come from the Wuhan lab. By the way, you can't go into Wuhan lab and check. But uh, it came from the United States. They accused us of releasing a bioweapon in the World Military Games in October of, of 2019. So same playbook again and again and again. We should have been ready for something from China because China under communism is the great breeding ground of pandemics. And they did it, they've done it several times now. And I'm afraid if, unless they're called to account, uh, they will be doing it again in the not too distant future. Well, before we move forward, let me ask you a couple of things because I want to make sure our listeners are, are, are with us. 
one of the criticisms early on in pointing to China as the origin of uh, COVID-19 was that this was an, an anti-Asian effort, that uh, pointing the finger was somehow motivated by racism. Can you address that? Uh, because I don't want listeners to to believe that this is uh, part of an ongoing campaign to to denigrate Asians in in China. Well, I always always talk about the Chinese Communist Party yes. and its military arm, which is the People's Liberation Army. And I always point out that the 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 first the primary victims of the Chinese Communist Party over time have been the Chinese people themselves. So when we talk about the misbehavior of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, the Chinese Communist Party would like to confuse us and say, you're you're attacking China uh, or you're attacking the Chinese people. Far from it. Uh, we're attacking you, Communist Party, uh, which believes that uh, you should dominate not just uh, the Chinese people, but the people of the entire world. So we need to be clear on that point. Mm-hmm. But this is all misbehavior uh, by the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, I often get asked, you know, was it was it a leak? Uh, or was it deliberately released? And the answer is it was both. It was it was developed in the lab. It was clearly engineered in the lab. And they were working on a vaccine when I believe it escaped during vaccine trials in Wuhan, caused an epidemic there. And once the Communist Party leaders realized they had an epidemic in China, they deliberately allowed uh, people to leave China uh, carrying the virus uh, to places like Milan, Italy, and Madrid, Spain, and New York City in the United States. So, um, so it's both and. It, was, it was, came out during vaccine trials, uh, but was deliberately released upon the world. But these are all the misdeeds, uh, the misbehavior, uh, the criminal activity of the international criminal terrorist organization, uh, the criminal conspiracy known as the Chinese Communist Party. I have another question I want to ask you on that line, but I do need to take a quick break. Once again, we're continuing a conversation with uh, Dr. Stephen Mosier. He's the president of the, Re- the Population Research Institute and the author most recently of The Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation this afternoon with Stephen Mosier, president of the Population Research Institute. We're talking about his latest book, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. Just before the break, I was asking you uh, whether or not charges of uh, racism by suggesting that the Chinese people are responsible for the coronavirus um, is motivated by um, uh, disdain for them. And the other question I wanted to ask is whether or not there is a an obligation, if China had obligated itself to communicate with the World Health Organization, if it's just expected that that's how you would respond under these circumstances, or if they ha- are signatories to some sort of an agreement where you let the world know because you care about people beyond your own borders. Well, the, the, those are very interesting questions. Again, I would say that the Chinese people are the first and foremost victims of the Chinese mm-hmm. Communist Party since the Communist Party is killed. Oh, uh, you know, 70 million of them and persons and persecutions over the years, um, not to mention the deaths in the one child policy. Um, uh, absolutely. Any responsible government, any responsible government, uh, when it has a new and unknown virus on the loose, should notify the World Health Organization should notify the international community and take steps to stop its spread to the rest of the world. China, uh, under the Communist Party, did exactly the opposite. They stopped flights 
from the epicenter of the pandemic in Wuhan from going to other Chinese cities, but they allowed flights from Wuhan to go to Madrid and uh, Milan, New York City, Los Angeles, other places that later became, you know, hotbeds of uh, a coronavirus infection. So I believe this that was that was quite quite deliberate. Uh, the charge of um, of, of uh, racism is a red herring. I spent mm-hmm. two hours on the phone last night uh, doing an interview in Chinese with Chinese dissidents who are just on fire to bring an end to Communist Party rule in China and are just devastated by the fact that the Communist Party was doing dangerous bioweapons research in the middle of a city of 12 million people and then, you know, let the virus out and uh, lots and lots of Chinese people have fallen ill and died as a result of this misbehavior on the part of the, uh, the Communist Party. Once again, you have to add those numbers to the death toll as well. Yes. How is this current pandemic different from previous pandemics, or is it different? Well, it's different because in previous pandemics, uh, they were true zoonoses. That is to say that, that the previous pandemics, uh, the virus actually did come from nature and cross into people. Interestingly enough, Georgie, uh, 58 and uh, the Asian flu and 58, the Hong Kong flu 10 years later, uh, they were descendants of the Spanish flu back in 1918 and 1919. Think about that. The Spanish flu killed 40 to 50 million people. And uh, the pandemic in 58 and 68, those were variants of the Spanish flu. They didn't kill 40 or 50 million people because the variants were less lethal. And if China had told the world early on that it had a serious new flu, a recombinant virus that was causing you know, deaths, then we could have been ready for it. We could have been working early on an effective vaccine. Uh, we could have put travel bans in place. Uh, we could have done testing, but they didn't. They behaved totally, totally irresponsible. Now, uh, of course, the, the current pandemic is caused by a genetically engineered virus. So this takes it to the next level. And I'm afraid that unless we call China to account, uh, they will uh, in the future uh, do it again. They they released the most deadly weapon, I think, uh, ever released in human history. It caused millions of deaths and tens of trillions of dollars in economic damage. And they haven't been held uh, accountable for, for the devastation that they've caused. And, and I was very pleased yesterday, uh, President Trump gave a, a talk uh, here in Tampa, Florida, and uh, he called for a lot of things, but he called for the creation of a commission to hold China accountable. That's his word, accountable for the deaths and damage caused by the Wuhan coronavirus. Um, that's what we need to be doing, because if we don't hold them accountable, I'm afraid they're going to do it again. They can't get off scot-free. Well, that raises a, another question, I guess two things. What does our pandemic future hold? And are you concerned that our own government has exploited the uh, the pandemic for purposes beyond uh, public health? Oh, well, everybody used the pandemic to advance their own agenda. Obviously, Big Pharma used the pandemic to make uh, last year an estimated $100 billion uh, using vaccines that uh, really uh, haven't worked very well and caused a lot of, a lot of adverse medical consequences. Um, the uh, political types, of course, immediately when Trump put a travel ban in place, uh, and, and he, he was the second 
leader of a country to put a travel ban in place. So he put a travel ban in place uh, very, very early in January of 2020. He was only, uh, that was only three days after Taiwan had put a travel ban in place. Uh, Taiwan did, did everything right, by the way. They're sitting right there 90 miles off the mainland Chinese coast, and they know that nothing good comes from the Chinese Communist Party, so they're always alert to a threat. So when they learned of a new epidemic in Wuhan, what did they do? They tested arriving passengers for 36 different viruses. When all the tests came back negative, they knew they were dealing with a new virus, and they put a travel ban in place. Uh, Trump was second to put a travel ban in place. and He was accused of what? By, by, uh, by Joe Biden. He was accused of uh, uh, racist, xenophobia, fear-mongering, uh, all of which were false charges. So, yeah, they're playing politics. Uh, a lot of that went into the uh, the criticism of President Trump in 2020, who I think was uh, was doing uh, the best job he could under under very difficult circumstances. What was life like under plagues of the past, and how do they compare to COVID-19? Obviously, we live in the 21st century; things are dramatically different. But what was like life like before, and how does that compare to this challenge we face today? Well, one difference, you know, for for those of us who are for Christians, is that in, in past pandemics, going back to the, the Antonine Plague at Smallpox in 600 AD, uh, also called the Plague of Justinian, uh, uh, Christians were on the front lines. Uh, they were caring for the sick. They were opening hospices and hospitals to care for the sick. Same thing happened during the Bubonic Plague a few centuries later. Uh, the churches were full of people uh, praying uh, and, uh, and working on behalf of uh, uh, those who were ill. Uh, ordinary people um, fled the cities, but but great saints like uh, St. Catherine of Siena stayed in, uh, in Siena and, uh, and ran a hospital and cared for those who were falling ill at uh, total disregard for her own, for her own health. So uh, this time it was different because the churches were not allowed to even hold uh, prayer meetings. Uh, we were not allowed to gather in our churches. We were not allowed uh, to do the kinds of uh, charitable work that uh, we had been allowed to in previous pandemics. Instead, uh, we were locked in our homes under the false idea that the Chinese lockdown had stopped the pandemic cold in China. Uh, we were the victims of a propaganda campaign that came from China. And I'm afraid that Dr. Anthony Fauci and Dr. Deborah Burks fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. And the propaganda campaign was this. It began with fear porn where you saw people, videos of people falling dead in the streets of Wuhan. You saw hospital corridors filled with body bags, and you thought, this is the apocalypse. This is the viral apocalypse. And then the next thing you heard from China was that they've locked down 60 million people, and they've stopped the pandemic in its tracks. Deaths have fallen to very low levels. Infections are way down. And uh, the Chinese propaganda apparatus was soon bragging that there were more people dying in New York City uh, then we're dying in all of China. I don't think that was true, Georgine. I think that those numbers were fabricated uh, to make the Communist Party look good. But as I say, Fauci and Burks fell for it. And, uh, and Burks went into, uh, Burks and Fauci went into President Trump and said, we'd have to lock down. Otherwise, millions of people are going to die. And look, China is locking down and they've controlled the pandemic. And uh, they managed to talk the president into a two-week lockdown. But we now know that Deborah Burks thought that was just the camel's nose under the tent. That was just the foot in the door because she immediately went back according to her own autobiography and started uh, thinking about how to extend it. 
not just for two more weeks, but for months and months and months. Um, so that's that's what was going on. Uh, and it 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 put us all through two years of uh, pandemic hell. Yeah, we certainly did. We're going to take a quick break, but uh, we'll continue our conversation again with Stephen Mosier, author of The Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. We've got news and traffic coming here at the top of the hour. We'll be back in a few moments to continue taking a look at The Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Stephen uh, Mosier. He's the author of The Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics, among other uh, amazing books on China. Deadly plagues have ripped across the globe for centuries. However, did you know that virtually everyone in history, from the Black Death to smallpox and the Hong Kong flu, originated in China? Well, in The Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics, my guest, president of the Population Research Institute and a leading authority on China, China reveals the widely promoted falsehoods and the politically incorrect narratives, not just about COVID-19, but about several global pandemics across history. Well, the next pandemic may not be the most devastating plague ever, but another viral pa- uh, panic <laughs> may turn it into one. Well, the book puts the risks into perspective, explores pandemics from prehistoric days to the present and shows how we can better deal with the dangerous pandemics in the future. Um, there's now a consensus, a growing consensus, perhaps is a better way to put it, that the COVID-19 uh, pandemic originated in the Wuhan lab. And you trace the history in 1957 with the Asian flu and 68 with the Hong Kong flu and 2002 with SARS. And then uh, most recently with um, COVID-19, which is a, a type of SARS um, a virus that uh, China is seeking and perhaps used a bioweapons um, grade virus. How does the communist government profit economically or strategically from international plagues uh, or from not uh, reporting them, as has been the case historically? Well, I think I think that the Chinese Communist Party has an absolute uh, disregard for uh, human life. Uh, They don't think that individual human beings uh, have necessarily even a right to life. Uh, Certainly don't have uh, uh, any any rights that would uh, to take away from the all-powerful Chinese Communist Party. I do think that when uh, uh, epidemics broke out in China, uh, they were unconcerned about it spreading to the rest of the world, uh, probably because they had the view that uh, that everyone, you know, that China wasn't going to go through this alone, that other countries should uh, should suffer as well. So I think that, that you can say that the, the Asian flu in 58, uh, the Hong Kong flu 10 years later, uh, the uh, SARS, SARS one, which almost became a global pandemic, uh, all of those were, in a sense, deliberately released on the on the world by the Chinese Communist Party's failure to complain about what was happening in their own borders to their own citizens with these new and deadly viruses. But of course, the the coronavirus uh, pandemic that we've all lived through takes it to a, a whole new level. People people ask me, you know, did it did it leak from the lab? Or did it? Uh, was it deliberately released? And the answer is both, Georgine, because it leaked from the lab. In this sense, uh, they had the virus uh, already developed. Uh, it had been enhanced to be more infectious to human beings, and they were working on a vaccine in the fall of 2019. Working on a vaccine to protect their, your own people because you don't want to release a bioweapon if your own people would be the first to fall ill from it, right? 
So they were working on the vaccine when it escaped during vaccine trials because China uh, doesn't use mRNA vaccines. It uses attenuated vaccines, which are weakened forms of the real virus. And sometimes when you use those weakened forms of the real virus, you can get the real disease unintentionally. I believe that's what happened. Uh, we have a secret speech by Major General Chun Wei. Uh, Major General Chun said in 2017, first, you need the spear before you can develop the shield. The spear is the virus, the coronavirus. The shield is the vaccine. Well, they have the spear, and they were working on the shield when uh, uh, they speared their own people. And after that happened, and that we can call that a leak, leaked out during vaccine trials. After that happened, it was deliberately spread around the world. So it's not an either-or situation, leak or deliberate release. It's a both-and situation. How does an epidemic become a pandemic? Well, a pandemic is when it spreads beyond the borders of one country and goes global. Uh, I think the, the World Health Organization has now declared uh, Dr. Tedros Kipresis has now, on his own authority, ignoring his own advisors, have declared, uh, has declared the monkeypox uh, to be a pandemic. Uh, it's clearly not. The number of cases is very small. The number of cases is limited to just a couple dozen countries around the world. But uh, I'm, I'm not sure what, you know, I'm not sure what's going on in his mind. Maybe he spells uh, monkeypox, uh, M-O-N-E-Y, monkeypox, <laughs> um, because, uh, you know, he, the World Health Organization has raised a lot of money over the last couple of years uh, to deal with pandemics. And he's probably eager. He's probably eager to take center stage again. Um, maybe he has the Fauci complex. You know, Fauci just can't can't turn down a, an interview. Hmm. Now, pandemics obviously kill people, but they can also kill kill empires. Can you talk about the potential that they have to do much more damage than uh, the individuals and uh, communities that are directly impacted? Well, you know, what we're dealing with is is what uh, uh, we now know is an unrestricted bioweapon. That's a bioweapon that, that doesn't kill people immediately. In the old days, we thought of bioweapons as things like anthrax. You know, a pound of anthrax spread over a major city would cause a million deaths within the next couple of days. Um, this is a bioweapon of low lethality, but it's highly infectious. So what does it do? Well, it, 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 first of all, it has plausible deniability. You could deny, as China has denied, that it came from China, that it was developed in a lab, and that it was deliberately released. China is still denying that today, uh, even though uh, clearly all of those denials are false. Um, so, uh, and, and, and the low lethality, the fact that it can spread human to human asymptomatically, means that it can spread very widely and infect a lot of people. I think, you know, the millions of people uh, who died from coronavirus around the world uh, and the tens of trillions of dollars of economic damage caused by the coronavirus make this probably the most lethal weapon, single weapon ever released upon the planet. And and again, if, if there are no consequences for the Communist Party's releasing uh, a deadly virus on the world, then the question in my mind is, why wouldn't they do it again? Hmm. That's an important question. When was the first time uh, that a disease was used as a weapon of war? Is this unique or is this something we've seen historically? 
Well, I mean, it's uh, we we can go back to the Mongol siege of the city of Kafra, which is a black seaport uh, run by uh, the 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 uh, the. Uh, the Greeks in uh, in about 1200 AD, when the Mongols were suffering from a, a an outbreak of the bubonic plague, which is carried by rats, and what they did, they were trying to besiege and take the city of Kafra, and they used the dead bodies of their fellow soldiers. They put them into catapults and catapulted them into the city, which is a very effective way of spreading disease. And so the Greeks fled in terror into their ships and carried the disease to bubonic plague, along with the rats and the fleas that carry the, the plague bacillus uh, to first Sicily and then to other ports in the Mediterranean. And that's how the, uh, the major bubonic plague epidemic got started, by an act of bio-warfare, the first one uh, really in, uh, in recorded history. Mm. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll continue our conversation in just a few moments with my guest, Stephen Mosier, president of the Population Research Institute and author of The Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're talking with Stephen Mosier. He's the author of um, the Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. Just before the break, we were talking about weaponizing disease, and I, I wonder what your thoughts are on the future of weaponizing um, viruses, pandemics. Is this the wave of the future? Clearly, China was in the process of trying to figure out how to weaponize the coronavirus. What do you anticipate we might see in the future? Well, China has a very active bioweapons program. It has really... Uh, since the founding of the People's Republic of China uh, 70, 73 years ago. It took over the old Japanese bioweapons facilities in Manchuria and has been going great guns since. Now with U.S. technology and and, uh, and with U.S. funding, it's taken it to a whole new level. Uh, the new high ground of uh, bioweapons research in China, according to the head of the, uh, the former head of the National Defense University, is the development of bioweapons that are ethnically targeted. All right, that are targeted at certain ethnicities uh, who lack uh, natural resistance to a to a particular virus. Uh, when when perhaps uh, uh, the people in China have a natural resistance, that what that is the new high ground. That's what they're working for is weapons they can target at perhaps Koreans, Japanese, uh, Caucasians, Africans, uh, which would uh, to which they would have a natural or acquired immunity. Uh, the other thing that I would mention, I wrote a series of articles about this in the, the Epic Times, was that uh, China's massive DNA collection effort uh, is also a danger. Yes. Because if they have your DNA, uh, they can see what vulnerabilities it contains, what sort of viruses would be lethal to you as an individual or to the group uh, that you belong to. And so I'm 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 very much opposed to, to sending... Uh, any of our DNA to China for so-called testing. And you cannot believe um, the, the companies say that the, the DNA information is kept confidential. Nothing in China is confidential when the Chinese Communist Party intelligence services and military wants to get their hands on it. Everything can be used, can be turned into a weapon. Here at home, we saw the politicization of a pandemic. Those who violated the quarantine or declined the 
the vaccine had the full weight of the law dropped on them. You mentioned earlier that churches were not permitted to meet. Um, your thoughts on, on moving forward with the potential of future pandemics, monkeypox, for example, already being declared a pandemic, uh, despite the, the low numbers, um, what we should prepare for and how we might respond in future to efforts to politicize and take full advantage of these political opportunities? Well, I mean, first of all, we have to be very alert, as Taiwan was alert, to dangers coming from, from China. Uh, we have to realize that they have an active bioweapons program, that they're building more um, high containment labs. I can hardly bring myself to say high containment because they, they're so leaky, but China is building more high containment labs. They're doing more gain-of-function research now, and I'm afraid that looking in a test tube somewhere is the next generation of a coronavirus or some other virus that has been weaponized. So we have to be uh, alert to that possibility. Uh, we have to, if, if, if the next one that comes is a highly infectious uh, respiratory airborne virus, though, we have to realize that, uh, that we already have those. Uh, we have uh, the flu, the seasonal flu is a highly infectious airborne respiratory disease. And so we have to be prepared to protect the vulnerable, those who are immune compromised. Uh, if it's like COVID again, we probably don't want to close the schools uh, because it turns out Sweden didn't close their schools. They didn't mask. They didn't socially distance. They protected the vulnerable people in nursing homes, the immune compromised. Everyone else went on with their lives. And the uh, infection and uh, hospitalization rates for students remained low. Uh, the infection hospitalization rates for teachers remained low. And, and the kids continued to get an education over the last two years, unlike our own kids, uh, which were, uh, you know, confined to home and, and fell behind their peers overseas. So, so um, we have to understand natural immunity. Uh, Fauci apparently forgot about natural immunity. After talking about it privately at the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic and admitting to Zeke Emanuel, who is the former health advisor to President Obama, that, yes, if you have the coronavirus, you'll have robust natural immunity probably lasting the rest of your life. Um, he stopped talking about it as soon as the vaccine came out uh, because he wanted everyone to be vaxxed. Uh, I'm sorry, I had the coronavirus. I have natural immunity. Uh, I don't need uh, the vax. Um, and I think we obviously have to, uh, this is, goes without saying, right, that we have to stop uh, funding Chinese labs. We have to make sure that Fauci is not uh, sending money uh, through an organization like EcoHealth Alliance to continue funding this research, either in China or anywhere else in the world, Ukraine uh, or any other lab in the world, because it's dangerous. Uh, Gain-of-function research has to stop. Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise, we're going to make, you know, uh, Dr. Fauci made a bad situation much, much worse. Despite his statement earlier this week that his decisions saved millions of lives. Uh, you know, I, that's, a, that's an alternate reality statement. I don't know how he can... Uh, he is the uh, the oldest serving aide, I think, to President Biden. The only aide, I think, who is older than President Biden himself. Hmm. Well, you mentioned earlier that there was a role played by Christians in past pandemics. And while we want to not just think of our own self-interest, um, Christians have, have been singled out in some ways in this pandemic, in the current pandemic. Uh, it, it, suggestions on how we might serve our community and one another. I mean, I mean, vigilance is one way to go about that uh, in future situations like this one, where we were literally forbidden from doing so. Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid that a lot of the 
the actions that were taken seemed to target people who didn't vote for the current administration or didn't vote the right way. Uh, the big box stores were allowed to continue in business. Uh, the small mom and pop stores were shuttered and perhaps permanently. Uh, Christians, um, Catholics, people of faith uh, had their churches closed. And yet, you know, there were other other meetings that were allowed to continue, uh, other other groups that were allowed to continue to meet. So it was sort of one one sided uh, persecution of Christians using the uh, coronavirus pandemic as an excuse. And I, I do believe there was some political targeting uh, going on quite consciously. As uh, Senator Tom Cotton, a friend of mine, said, um, Dr. Anthony Fauci is a political activist in a white lab coat. And I think that pretty much describes the kind of advice that he was, uh, that he is and was giving the president. Mm. Well, I want to commend you for the book, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Pandemics. It gives us a sense of the history and what uh, what we have learned and can learn from what we have been through and are still at the tail end of and what we might anticipate in the future. Uh, I appreciate um, so much of your writing, and I, I remember um, discovering you many, many years ago when you first wrote about China, and I had been there several times. So I appreciate once again your weighing in on this important topic and for taking time to talk with us about it here today. Well, it's always good to talk to you, Georgine. Great, great interview. Thank you. Bye-bye. Again, Stephen Mosier is the uh, uh, director of Population Research Institute and a leading authority on China. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show, trying to catch up on some of the news that accumulated over the last day and a half. Um, Americans are fearing the cancellation of student debt is going to increase inflation, which, of course, it will. The president is expected to announce tomorrow his decision. RNC Research says that CNBC a poll says that 59 percent of Americans are concerned that canceling student loan debt will make inflation worse. The survey also found that 34 percent of respondents say only those in need should have debt forgiven. Thirty two percent say all of those with student loan debt should have it forgiven and 30 percent say no debt should be forgiven. You signed on the line, you pay the debt. Well, in the Life Evaluation Index, suffering is at the highest level since the measurement began in 2008. Now, this is interesting because we're talking about first world suffering. It's a different kind of suffering than much of the rest of the world experiences. But uh, feeling low is at a record high. According to Gallup, the percentage of Americans who evaluate their lives poorly enough to be considered suffering on Gallup's Life Evaluation Index was 5.6% in July. That's the highest since the index inception back in 2008. Now, this exceeds the previous high of 4.8% measured in April and is statistically higher than all prior estimates uh, in the COVID-19 era. Across um, extensive measurements since January of 2008, the suffering percentage has reached 4.5% or higher on a handful of occasions. Axios weighs in, pointing out that the percentage of U.S. adults classified as thriving has declined steadily since it reached a record high of 59.2%. In June of 2021, July's uh, estimate of 51.2% of adults classified as thriving is an 18-month low on this particular index. 
Well, citing an absentee president of the United States since taking office, the very old and swiftly declining Joe Biden, according to this survey, spent 224 days on vacation. Just last week, on the one-year anniversary of the fall of Kabul, the president marked the date by heading to the beach to soak up some rays. Furthermore, the president was severely limited or has limited his accessibility to the press, fielding just 62 questions since the 1st of July and going 31 days out of the last 47 without taking a single question from the press. At this point in his presidency, the president has done fewer press conferences than his last five predecessor and recently set a new modern record of more than two months without a press conference. Meanwhile, getting um, meaningful and direct clarifying answers from the White House press secretary is itself a difficult task, according to White House press uh, rather than informing the american people as to what the pre- the administration is doing specifically to address the most pressing issues facing the nation sky high inflation and looming recession she deflects their answers are more often um, than not vague non-answers designed to deflect and obscure the issues rather than offer cogent responses that enlighten the public an interesting analysis of the president and the press on cnn The uh, news organization earned well-deserved criticism and mockery for an article in which it touted falling gas prices as a $100 a month raise. I didn't get that raise. Since the average price at the the, uh, pump has fallen from its high of $5.02 in mid-June down to the current average of $3.92 per gallon, that's the average. We pay more here and in other places. CNN is celebrating the drop as a boon for Americans. Never mind the fact that the price of gas last August was nearly a dollar cheaper than today, and the price then was a dollar more than it had been the prior year under the previous administration. Also, CNN completely ignored how high inflation is still hitting Americans hard, and the drop in the price at the pump from the earlier high is hardly the stuff of big savings. Besides, the price decrease has come not because of the policies made, but rather despite those policies. Social media was quick to blast CNN's uh, obviously Pollyanna-ish look on the gas prices. Talk about gaslighting the American people. Well, a recent survey conducted by NBC News Generation Labs found that 62 percent of college students who identified as Democrats would probably not or definitely not room with a student who supported Donald Trump in 2020. One student explained that she could never live with someone who supported a racist, homophobic, xenophobic and sexist person. On the conservative side, 28 percent of Republican identifying students said that they would refuse to room with a student who voted Democrat in 2020. As one Republican student stated, a person's political views do not affect whether or not I would have a friendship or a relationship with him. There is, however, one thing a majority of both college Democrats and Republicans agree on. Neither want Joe Biden to be the president again. They don't agree on who should be, but they believe he has uh, reached his prime. Secretary of Education Miguel Cordona says a student loan announcement will be made within the next week or so. Most are predicting that will be tomorrow. Energy Secretary Granholm says families should use the um, EV tax credits, weatherize their homes and finance solar panels to cope with inflation. What he didn't mention is how to pay for them. Russia has shut off their natural gas supply, or soon will, to Europe for three days due to maintenance, they say. Unsurprisingly, uh, lame duck Republican Liz Cheney will back Democrats in some races. And New York Times creates a right-wing media beat to see what's driving political decisions of many Americans. Of course, they're not um, concerned about the other end of the continuum, 
being that they are on that end. Political polarization has inspired conservatives and LGBTQ dating apps, and a Wisconsin school board has banned BLM and gay pride flags from classrooms. In other words, political statements unwelcome. Trump haters don't like DeSantis either, according to a new survey. Is it Donald Trump they don't like or is it what he stands for? Some anti-Trump Republicans are showing their objections to the former president to be more Uh, broad than the man. Recently, polling indicates that if Trump does not run in 2024, current Florida Governor Ron DeSantis would take the lead for Republican voters. Given this scenario, would anti-Trump Republicans like the just defeated Liz Cheney um, uh, throw their support behind DeSantis? Her answer says it all. I think that Ron DeSantis has lined himself up uh, amongst um, in, almost entirely, rather, with Donald Trump, and I think that's very dangerous. She would uh, find it very difficult to support him. Ironically, for the anti-Trump Republicans, their best bet at seeing someone other than Trump win the GOP primary might end up being DeSantis. However, for many of them, like the abysmal Lincoln Project Republicans, their real problem with Trump was ultimately not with the man, but with his rep- what he represents, the anti-establishment America First agenda. While asserting moral superiority, Uh, They spent years castigating those Republicans and conservatives for voting for such a flawed man, claiming that their primary objection to him was that he was unfit for office. Young Americans are identifying as less liberal. Recent polling of Americans' political identity was found that voters have become less liberal since 2017 when Donald Trump took office. There has been a seven-point shift nationally away from those identifying as liberal from 34% to 27%. Voters who have moved away from the identity have not, however, embraced the conservative camp. Instead, they've joined the growing moderate political demographic. No group has dropped the liberal identifier more than young Americans ages 18 to 34. President Biden's new Iran deal would lift sanctions on the very organizations raising bounties to kill Americans, contends Gabriel Noron Ha, a former State Department advisor, that will help Iran raise the funds to kill American dissidents and officials. In the wake of the attack against author Salman Rushdie, an attack likely inspired by Iran having placed a $3.3 million bounty on his head over 30 years ago, Joe Biden is plowing ahead with his aim to resurrect Barack Obama's Iran nuclear deal. This plowing ahead includes the unwinding of sanctions against the world's leading sponsor of terrorism. Washington, D.C. Mayor Bowser's second request for National Guard help with the migrant crisis has been denied by the Pentagon. And a new inspector general's report shows President Biden left seven billion dollars in equipment for the Taliban. And no one has been fired or disciplined for that disaster. Twitter executives deceived um, federal regulators and the company's own board of directors about extreme egregious deficiencies in its defenses against hackers, as well as its meager efforts to fight spam, according to an explosive whistleblower complaint from its former uh, security chief. The complaint from former head of security uh, a widely, widely admired hacker known as Mudge depicts Twitter as a chaotic and rudderless company beset by infighting, unable to properly protect its 238 million daily users, including government agencies, heads of state and other influential public figures. The Washington Post weighs in saying the legal team for Tesla and SpaceX CEO Elon Musk has subpoenaed former CEO Jack Dorsey amid the ongoing battle over the social media platform. The American Academy of Pediatrics is being ripped for refusing to acknowledge transgenderism's causes.
And on this day in history, 1305, Scottish leader William Wallace is executed in London. 1914, Japan declares war against Germany in World War I. 1939, Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union sign a non-aggression treaty. 1973, a bank robbery turned hostage-taking begins in Stockholm. The four hostages end up empathizing with their captors, a psychological condition now referred to as Stockholm Syndrome. 2000, approximately 51.7 million people watched the season finale of the first season of Survivor on CBS. 2003, former priest John Gogan, he is convicted a child molester whose uh, prosecution sparked a sexual abuse scandal that shook the Roman Catholic Church nationwide. He dies after another inmate attacks him in a Massachusetts prison. And 2019, David Cook, the billionaire former executive vice president of the Coke um, Industries, who, along with his brother Charles, was one of the most prolific GOP donors in politics, dies at age 79. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Want to take a moment to thank James Blend for producing... He's also vacationing and Simon Maupin for engineering. Thanks for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.